Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Very excited to talk a little bit later in the show with legal scholar and author Anita Hill. We're going to talk to her about her career, her thoughts on the political, legal, and social moment we're living in, as well as her new book, Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence. You don't want to miss that conversation, which is coming up in about 20 minutes. But first, missing data is missing people. That's one of the lines that accompanies a new report from the Center for Behavioral Health and Justice at Wayne State University's School of Social Work. The report details all the ways that Michigan's criminal justice system is failing to keep records and data regarding inmates and conditions in detention facilities. Authors of the article write that, quote, the culmination of this research and analysis confirmed just how much information is missing and how much is unknown to the public and to practitioners about Michigan's justice systems. Here to talk about the study is its lead author and the dean of Wayne State University School of Social Work, Dr. Cheryl Kubiak. Dr. Kubiak, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. It's great to be here. So let's start with the key findings of this report. What were they? Well, I, I don't think that anyone who's in this field will find this at all surprising. Uh, we used primarily secondary sources, so data that was already available, to put together what we call a primer or a baseline to the Michigan criminal legal system for both adults and youth in the state. And so this report, um, funded through a combination of the Public Welfare Foundation and the Michigan Judicial Fund, really looks at what's missing. What do we know and what don't we know about the criminal legal system? And I think that for the listeners who aren't familiar, when we talk about the criminal legal system, we're talking about beginning with law enforcement, moving to courts, to jails, to prisons, to probation, parole. It's more than just the jail and it's more than just the prison. But it's this whole continuum and as we go through this continuum, the biggest part of the funnel are people who get caught up in the you know, revolving wheel of being picked up, being taken to jail. And we know so little about the number of people who are coming into our jails, the change in those numbers over time, and what things we're doing that might be working and what things that we no, don't work. So, for instance, like knowing that people with mental illness are spending twice as long for the same crime as uh, in jail as people without a mental illness. Um, those are important things. That we know that the youth who are in our child welfare system, who have abuse or neglect issues uh, as children, over 50% of them end up as adults in the criminal legal system. Hmm. So these are important things, but they're things that are very difficult to uncover. They're not known. And I think that that's the travesty, yeah. is not knowing. So, so that phrase, missing data is missing people. Let's talk about that, how you came up with that, and, and what you mean when you say that. 
Well, first of all, I can't take credit for it. It's the <laughs> lieutenant governor's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, we did an op-ed with the lieutenant governor, and he repeated that in that op-ed. But it's so poignant in saying that these are not abstract numbers. These are people. These are human beings. These are people who liberties have been taken from them, and and we we can't know the numbers. We do not know on a year-to-year basis how many people enter the jails in the various counties around the state and what that total number is. And these are people's lives. This isn't widgets we're talking about. And uh, the fact that we don't know enough, or what we should, about this population, talk about how that plays out in the welfare of those populations. And I know a lot of people don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about that or worrying about that. Uh, there are a lot of people who feel as though the people who are involved in the criminal justice system or in the carceral system in particular, uh, you know, are not as valuable to our society as, as other folks. But, but talk just a little about what the consequence looks like for these missing lives, missing people. Yeah. I think that particularly for people who enter into um, the jail system, and these are people that, you know, we, we know. There are family members, there are friends who got picked up because they were driving on a suspended license. They were uh, picked up because, you know, they had a fine or they missed a court appearance. And so what happens is the further you penetrate into the criminal legal system, the more difficult it is to get out. So we already know that we have an inequitable system in terms of bail and bond, right? You can, two people can commit the same offense, but one stays in jail and another one can leave because they had the money to pay for their release. Now, they, there must not be a difference in the danger that they are to society because one did come out, but because you didn't have the money, you stayed in. Now, that period of incarceration or confinement often means that you're missing work, you, are, you, know, you may have childcare responsibilities. So there's a lot of consequences in not knowing who's going in and who's coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Cheryl Kubiak. She is the dean of the Wayne State University School of social work and one of the people who's worked on a new study about criminal justice data uh, in the state of Michigan. It it reveals that there are many things we don't know about the people who are involved in the criminal justice system in our state. Uh, And uh, the study points us to, I think, uh, a real concern about why that's true and what the consequences of that missing data actually is. Uh, We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think when you hear that Michigan doesn't know how many people are involved in the criminal justice system, Uh, especially when you hear that juveniles are part of that missing data, that we don't know how many children, for instance, are in the state's juvenile justice system? What do you think when you hear that it's impossible right now to measure something like recidivism in Michigan because 
of this missing data. Uh, also, do you have any confidence that the criminal justice system is actually working? Is this a sign that we're not really getting what we should uh, out of the billions of dollars we spend on criminal justice each year here in Michigan? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Cheryl, before we go to listeners, I want to talk about the juvenile end of this, uh, which I think is particularly troubling. You note uh, that we have no idea how many children are in our juvenile justice system in Michigan. So what does that mean for those children and for our ability to make sure that the juvenile justice system is working? Yeah, I think that it's really important to point out that Michigan is a very decentralized state. And a lot of what's going on in the criminal legal system happens at a county level. And because of the Headley Amendment, counties cannot be mandated to do anything unless the state pays for it. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the juvenile justice system and youth in the state who are sentenced by county-level courts to various sentences, nowhere is that data captured, particularly when it comes to youth detention, because youth can be detained in facilities out of state as well as in state. So that 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 creates uh, an issue because we know that, first of all, 50% of youth are, are usually diverted early on and they go to programming. But we don't know what's happening in those programs in terms of the success of those programs. And that, too, is an important catalyst from county to county. What programs are working? What programs are putting youth back on the right track, if you will, and keeping them out of the criminal legal system. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Rich in Huntington Woods. Rich, welcome to the program. Uh, hi. Um, hi, Stephen, and hi, hi Cheryl. Um, I just turned on the radio, and it's an amazing, so important what you're sharing, Cheryl, and Steve, for bringing it up. Um, I just want to challenge this thing we don't know. I think we do know. I think we don't want to know. I think we need to look at the values that, as, as Steve emphasized, has made these folks uh, marginal, has made these folks not necessary, have created an underclass. And we don't care as long as it's based on race, disability, youth. And I think it's a question of caring. It's not a question of knowing. It's mm. a question of what values. So can you talk to the values behind this important study you're doing? Mm. Uh, Rich, really appreciate the call and the really thoughtful question. Uh, Dr. Kubiak, uh, yeah. uh, talk about what, what he's uh, pointing to here. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there, the data is there, and it's our will or our values that dictate how we get at it and do we get at it. And so that looking at, um, I'll just give you one example um, I was part of the jails task force led by Lieutenant Governor and Bridget McCormick. Mm -hmm. And we know there was important legislation that was passed as part of that. Now, will we be able to even go back and look at, did that legislation make a difference, right? And, and we can't right now unless we go 
prospectively and somebody funds a study to get that jail data again. We can't do that. We know that um, if you're familiar with the uh, crew report out of Washtenaw County, uh, the Citizens for Racial Inequity, uh, they put together as citizens, they went to public kiosks in the courtroom to collect data around sentencing practices. Hmm. Now, you know, they, they issued a report, and the report le- led to some having some variation in their sentencing practices. But the citizens had to get together and look at public kiosks. We're not examining that across the board. Yet we have the data we just don't have that data integrated or accessible. And that accessibility of that data and the transparency of that data is, I think, the values that we have to uncover because I think that the, the hidden nature or holding on to it and not wanting to share it serves us poorly as a state, as taxpayers, mm. as policymakers, and as citizens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I want to talk about how this report and the data in it and the missing data that we have in in uh, in the criminal justice system fits into the larger sense of structural inequality here in Michigan as it relates to criminal justice. That's something we talk about an awful lot here on the show. Uh, it strikes me that this is another dimension of that conversation in some ways. Yeah, absolutely, because I, I think that to tackle a problem, you have to be able to identify a problem. And to identify the problem, you need a certain openness. And that openness to that data sharing or that data transparency isn't just, you know, like m- me as a researcher who loves data, if I want to go to the state and get data, data use agreements and legalities, of course. But when different state-level government actors do not share data with each other about identifying these structural inequities, then I think we have a larger problem Mm. and a larger opportunity for the leadership um, that's been expressed by our lieutenant governor and both in the task force and both in kicking off uh, a data convening with us recently, but you know the, we have an opportunity with the American Rescue Plan dollars for one-time infrastructure monies to really shine a spotlight on this and say, what kind of a state do we want to be? Wow. So let's extend that question. What kind of state do we want to be? How do we become the state that we might want to be, and I think that's probably somewhat debatable, depending on whom you ask, but how do we do better with this? You point out that this is data that really is kept at the county level at this point by uh, by county governments that are underfunded, that uh, are not particularly focused on the welfare of this population in, in, in every instance. So, so what is a beginning point, I guess, for a conversation about how we might be better? Yeah, I think that at the, at the county level, there, there are certain data uh, that are available. At the state level, there's certain data that are available. And how do we get that county-level data to some central repository 
at the state level. And I think that that takes some conversations about what are we willing to risk. And uh, I think that there's a protection that everybody is, is afraid that they'll be penalized for what their data shows. And I think that it's really important to say, well, you know, let's have a starting point. Let's have a starting line. And from here, go forward. Because everyone really is committed to that. I mean, people really do want this data, but there's a lot of barriers to get through. And I think that there is enough commonality and enough desired um, collaborative purpose that we can get there. But this is not a short-term fix. This is not something that in the next year or two we're going to be able to have these state-level repositories and that there will be data sharing not only among criminal legal, but if you think criminal legal and mental health or criminal legal and substance abuse. But we're trying to say, let's be realistic. Let's put out a 10-year planning process. And let's figure out where we can start even to integrate this data at a county level and push it upward. Hmm. Um, okay, uh, Cheryl Kubiak, it was really great uh, to talk to you about this. I, before you go, I want to give you a chance to update us on the work that has been taking place at the state level in particular, looking at these, uh, looking at these issues. Uh, the the study the commission on on jails and jailing here in the state the wider criminal justice reforms that the lieutenant governor and uh, supreme court chief justice bridget mccormick are involved in where are we in this i guess reconsideration of criminal justice in michigan yeah i, I think the the jail task force is into an implementation phase mm -hmm. where they're looking at some of these new laws uh, on the juvenile justice side, you know, Raise the Age uh, went into effect uh, October 1st, uh, raising the legal age from 17 to 18 for um, uh, consideration as an adult. Um, Justice McCormick has begun the Judicial Council to look at kind of courts in general. The State Court Administrator's Office is looking at, you know, ways that they can integrate and create consistency in the data that we do collect because various counties have differing definitions. So there are those things that are underway. Um, you know, we've been working with the Sheriff's Association in Michigan to talk about how can we consolidate jail data because we do not have a central repository. So the data convening that we started September 17th will we'll continue to try to formulate that blueprint, but it's going to take a lot of effort. And I know that we have the support of uh, Lieutenant Governor and Bridget McCormick and Tom Boyd from the State Court Administrator's Office, and we're working with Michigan Association of Counties and judges. So I'm hopeful that we can derive a plan that will be successful in the long run. Mm. And uh, talk about the bipartisan nature of these efforts, which I think is really important here in Michigan. There are so many things that we can't get done because the government is divided and uh, Republicans control 
the legislature, but not the governor's office, uh, not the not all aspects of uh, the courts. Uh, but this is a this is a place where we've seen significant cooperation by lots of different lots of different interests. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that, and I think that there is a window here. Um, if, if this is one thing that people can agree on, and, and we do have legislators on this advisory board that we've put together, and uh, I'll say that um, Sarah Leitner, the uh, Republican House member from uh, the Jackson area, has been really wonderful in trying to uh, illuminate these issues in the House, and you know, Senator Chang has been working with us, and she's got some legislation around crisis response that's coming up this week, but these are bipartisan efforts, and they're bipartisan issues that not only have a human cost, but an incredible fiscal cost in terms mm-hmm. of the cost of confinement, court processing, supervision. So I appreciate the commitment on both sides. Okay. Uh, Dr. Cheryl Kubiak, Dean of the Wayne State University School of Social Work. Uh, it's always great to have you here as a guest on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for coming by to share the really important information in this study. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with legal scholar and author Anita Hill about her new book, Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 